rather than doing multi-level marketing and selling vitamins or Tupperware and having to have a garage full of rubbish, she could sell a fake cryptocurrency through multi-level marketing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. We've got some great stories to share this week, and later in the show, Carol Terrio is back. She speaks with Jamie Bartlett. He is the host of the Missing Crypto Queen podcast, which is from the BBC. It's a great story about trying to get to the bottom of the OneCoin scam. But first, a word from our sponsors at Know Before. So, who's got the advantage in cybersecurity? The attacker or the defender? Intelligent people differ on this, but the conventional wisdom is that the advantage goes to the attacker. But why is this? Stay with us and we'll have some insights from our sponsor, Know Before, that puts it all into perspective. And we are back. Joe, I'm going to kick off things this week. Okay. And uh, I kind of have a grab bag of things I want to talk about this A grab week. bag. Huh? Yeah, I say grab bag. You might say scattered. But either okay. is an accurate description. First, I wanted to point out a tweet from uh, someone who goes by Jake on Twitter. This is at jcybersec underscore. And he laid out a bunch of phishing sites, a bunch of landing pages where if someone tries to fish you, this is where you will land. One of the places you'll go. The first one that is here uh, looks exactly like an Apple login page, Uh which I guess is not surprising because what these folks do is literally just scrape right. the code from the Apple landing page and there are or whatever. Tools, tools out there that help you do this. One mm-hmm. of the problems with the web is that in order for your browser to render what the company wants you to see, it has to give you all the code to render it. Mm-hmm. And once that's downloaded, you can copy it very simply using, you know, manually mm-hmm. and go ahead and, and host it on a different site. There's nothing stopping you from doing that aside from legality and the fact that all of our listeners are moral, upstanding people. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Some other details in this tweet here. It has one of the messages that will lead you to this page. This right. is an SMS message, and it says, your phone ID is on hold due to wrong payment address. Please confirm your details at apk-signinauth.com slash dot gb. It's the dot gb that's the the tip off there, I suppose. Right. What country is gb? To avoid permanent account termination. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Is what, it Gambia? My uh, initial impulse was Great Britain. Yeah, so dot gb actually is Great Britain. Huh. It's fallen into disuse because of the UK. So it's still a valid top-level domain. Okay. Some other things in this tweet, there's a page where they show a bunch of, I suppose it's JavaScript code. This tweet also includes uh, a bunch of screenshots of other pages that are hosted on the same IP. So there's a lot of other things on here, different logins, logins that pretend to be from things like GoDaddy, from Apple, of course, a variety of uh, Instagram, a bunch of things. So I guess one rogue IP address is hosting a bunch of these different phishing uh, landing pages, which right. is, is not surprising, I yeah, suppose. That IP address is hosting multiple domains, really, mm-hmm. is all it is. Yep. So what do you have to uh, to say about the code here? Uh, the code is actually looks like it's it's using jQuery to harvest 
credit card information. Oh. And then there's uh, this huge UDUD. I don't know what that is, but it's a long string of random text. Uh It might actually be something that's, uh, it looks like it's something that's base 64 encoded and may also be some other content. I don't know. I see. So behind the scenes here, this gives away what they're after here. They're harvesting credit card It's obvious that they're harvesting credit card credentials. Okay. All right. Good to know. Well, so the second part of my grab bag of things I wanted to talk about this week was that since the new year, I have been given getting a lot of SMS phishing messages. Have you? And I don't know why, but up until that point, I got virtually none. Really? In my entire time having a smartphone, for some reason, I never got very many of them. But now you're getting them. Now I'm getting them. And what's interesting to me is a couple things. So uh, I, fortunately, my I use an iPhone and it does put them into a junk folder, which is helpful. That's good. Yeah. But uh, here's an example. It says, hello, Dave. And I say, Dave, because Dave is all caps. It says, hello, Dave. Your DHL package with tracking code is waiting for you to set delivery preferences. I'm going to jump right on that. Here's another (laughs) one. Amazon 2020 resolutions. One, not to be greedy. That's ironic. Two, care more about the customers. So you'll get $130 freebies to do a survey. Dave. Mm. That now, sounds like it came from the same data set. Dave. <laughs> here's here's one that, that puzzles me. It says, congratulations, Ilana. Your code printed on your last receipt is among seven we randomly picked for a $1,000 Walmart gift card promotion. Now, Ilana is my wife. Yeah, I was going to say, the listeners should know that Ilana is your wife. Yeah. And that's interesting because now we can see that some of this data is getting cross-referenced. There's somewhere where your phone number is associated with your wife's name. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And we have, we have a shared account. We have a family account for all of our, our phones from the same service provider. So I could see there being some yep. cross-pollination there. Or maybe she signed up for an affinity program using your name. Right. Maybe or she's just using number? my phone number on right. everything so that I get these instead of her. <laughs> That's very smart. On <laughs> I have, a lot to have, of to have, have a conversation when I get home. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to make of this. It definitely started at the beginning of the year. And there's just been a flood of them. And, well, maybe uh, uh, maybe there's some scammer out there who made a New Year's resolution to try to scam mm-hmm. the Dave Bitt podcast hosts. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. or security get, podcast hosts. They'll get it. Yeah, we'll get them. Right, will show us. They're going to come after you and me and yeah, and all the other security podcast hosts. Yeah, brace yourselves. Right. Yeah, Graham Cluley, you're next. Yeah, Grand Levy, <laughs> Jack Recider, Carol. Yeah, pay attention. Yep, everybody. All right. Well, that's what I have this week. Joe, uh, save us here. You got something a little more focused? I do. Dave, the uh, New Zealand Transportation Agency, the NZTA, has issued a warning about an ongoing phishing campaign. Mm. And it is targeting people with license renewals for their vehicles. Mm, okay. Right. So mm-hmm. here, you know, it's typical, right? You You get an email that says, hey, the license for your car here in the States, we call them registrations for the car. Right. right. Your license is due for renewal. Go to this page and pay your renewal fee online. Right. Right. And then, of course, it takes you to a fake payment page and you lose the money or you have to file a claim with your credit card company or something right. as a right. fraudulent charge. This doesn't seem like anything great. Right. But the story kind of struck me as interesting for a couple of reasons. One, when the NZTA... NISDA. NISDA. Let's say NISDA. <laughs> right. Because that's easier to say. When NISDA announced this, they said, you know, there's two things that an email is going to contain from us. And one is going to come from our domain, which is nisda.government.govt.nz. Uh, right? okay. And that's a legitimate domain. You can go there. But the spamming campaign doesn't spoof that email address. Mm. And the other thing they said is that an email from NISDA will contain 
information like the actual tag number, the expiration date, and the vehicle make. Right. And these emails do not contain that. Okay. I could imagine a VIN number, too. If the, uh, Yeah, probably a VIN something. number. Yeah. It could be. I chose this story for a few reasons. One, this is a very low effort campaign, mm-hmm. right? We're just going to target people in New Zealand with these efforts. It's very easy to steal the branding that would come on one of these emails. If you've ever gotten an email from NISDA, then you know exactly what the email looks like. And you actually have, just like I was saying with the web page, you have everything you need already. Sure. You can spoof it. They don't go through the trouble of spoofing the email address. Mm-hmm. They could have done that. And they didn't have the data. I'm guessing they didn't have the data in a data set of the car registration information. Hmm. Because mm-hmm. if they did, then they could have made a much more compelling campaign out of this. But I think this is just a spray and pray campaign. Yeah. I think here in the States, we can expect to see a lot of these phishing campaigns coming very soon. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is because we've seen a lot of data breaches that have a lot of information in them. Mm -hmm. And there may even be vehicle information in these data breaches. Because here in Maryland, we do a lot of our DMV stuff online. And I haven't been to the Motor Vehicle Administration to renew a registration on my car in decades. Hmm. Right. I've done that online for about 20 years. Okay. So that kind of makes us susceptible to these kind of campaigns. Now, the Motor Vehicle Administration will send you a letter in the mail saying that your registration is due for renewal and it will have all this information about your car on it. Mm -hmm. But if somebody sent me an email that said, go ahead and renew online now. Mm hmm. That might work. Quick and easy. Yeah, because Maryland tends to be a a pretty technologically advanced state that's focused on providing government services to its people. Yeah. And I can see this being something that would work. The other thing that strikes me about this is that the scammers could take advantage of our low expectations. Yes. And by that, I mean this. If I get an email from, say, Apple, right, a company who is known for their impeccable design, it's going to look a certain way. Everything is going to be just so. Yeah, everything in Apple is like that. So if it's not looking a certain way, if it's not just so, that's going to grab my attention. That's going to be a red flag. Right. If I get a messy email from the Motor Vehicle Administration, right. that looks normal to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, this, they simply don't have the funds or the, the time or the interest to make that a priority. Right. So that makes it easier on the bad guys because... That's an excellent point, Dave, because if you go to any of these websites, like the Social Security Administration website, mm-hmm. that website looks at least 10 years old. Right, <laughs> right. And it probably is. It probably is, you know, because 10 <laughs> yeah. years ago, we, they said, we want to modernize this. But, yeah. you know, the government doesn't spend a lot of money on modernizing the look and feel of websites as long as it's functional and hopefully secure. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure I want my tax dollars going to make flashy websites for government agencies. Yeah. I'm fine with a bland government agency website. Yeah. Right? There's Mm -hmm. better ways to spend my money. Yeah. But you're right. The low expectations that we have make it a lot easier to dupe us. Yeah. This story kind of took me on a tangent here because last week I got an email about a license renewal for software. Right? Oh, okay. And that struck me as immediately as uh, this seems right. This is correct. I do have this software. It's for VMware mm-hmm. uh, Workstation, which we have a, a license for that has to be renewed annually at Hopkins because it's an academic license. And it struck me as this could be a phishing email. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is legit or not. So here's what I'm going to do to address this license issue. I'm going to go to the website and I'm going to log in with my credentials and see if this is in fact correct. And that's what I recommend anybody do. When you're dealing with any of these government agencies, just go directly to the website. Mm -hmm. Don't click the link. Don't click the link. Just go to the (laughs) website and renew your car license or car registration or whatever, or your software license or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. 
You could even go there in person. You could. <laughs> yes. But that's not fun. Well, <laughs> no, but uh, I guess in a way it's, I mean, it's more secure. I don't think there are people... Uh, Setting up decoy registration offices around town <laughs> hasn't <laughs> right. quite come to that yet, <laughs> but you that's, never know. That's true. <laughs> All right. Well, that is a good story. It is time to move on to our catch of the day. Our catch of the day comes via Twitter. This is someone uh, online. He goes by the name Stephen Murdoch. He's at SJ Murdoch. And he lays out uh, this, how he sort of turned the tables on some people who are trying to hit him with a gift card scam. Uh, he writes and he says, Today my head of department emailed me about something. It sounded urgent, though it's odd he switched to using a Gmail address. And he has a thread. Joe, I'm going to let you play the part of Stephen and I will play the part of the scammers. I will kick things off. Here's the, the first message uh, Stephen got. It said, Are you available at the moment? Best regards. Head of department, Steve. Hi, Steve. Sure, how can I help? Best wishes, Stephen. Okay, I'm in a meeting right now, and that's why I'm contacting you through here. I should have called, but the phone is not allowed to be used during the meeting. I don't have any idea when the meeting will be over, and I was hoping you could help me out on something very important right away. Thanks. No problem. I understand the situation. What can I do to help? Okay, thanks. I was hoping you could help me get some Steam wallet gift cards or Amazon gift cards from the store. I will reimburse you when I'm done with my meeting. I need to send it to someone now, and it is very important because it's one of my best friend's birthday, and going through cancer at the hospital needs the cards to download his favorite musics and videos to boost his confidence on his next phase of surgery and fight over cancer, which he's going to undergo today. I fear I may not get it on time myself if I decide to wait it out. Thanks. Sorry to hear about your friend. Do pass on my best wishes. I should be able to get some Amazon gift cards quite easily. Can I drop them off at your office after the meeting? How much shall I get? Okay, thanks. I want you to get the value of 100 pounds each in five pieces or 50 pounds each in 10 pieces, which will make a total of 500 pounds. I will reimburse you back. Okay. Once you get the cards, just get them scratched. Take a picture of the cards attached to the mail. Mail them to katieclara1001 at gmail.com and send to me also. Kindly keep the cards safe with you just in case I call for them later on. Thanks. So then Stephen uh, sort of takes things under his own control. Right. He writes, uh, I've got the vouchers, but we both know how insecure email can be, so I encrypted the file. Then he uh, says, hi, Steve. The shop had a long queue, so I got a printable voucher instead. Hope that's okay. Please find it attached. I've also sent this to Katie's email address. Best wishes, Stephen. And actually what he sent was a tracker. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and what he discovered by when he sent his tracker that Steve was using an iPhone and is in, wait for it, Nigeria. Lagos, look at that. <laughs> Good so work, uh, Steve replies and says, hi, Steven. Katie can't find the login and password. And then Stephen finds that, oh, no, Steve's email address is not working anymore. Right. <laughs> Maybe this could be something to do with me forwarding the earlier emails to Google security. <laughs> Katie is still around, though, but hasn't been clicking on links or her email. Maybe she thinks something is wrong. And then Katie replies and says, hi, I can't found those cards. Stephen replies, hi, Katie. Did you manage to open the vouchers? Best wishes, Stephen. Yes, I did, but asking me to put the login and password. And then Stephen says, let's try again with a modified version of a genuine Amazon voucher. Maybe there's something wrong with the encryption. Here's the original email. Please be careful with it. Hi, how much did you send? It should be for 100 pounds. Yes, just 100, but I hope you're going to send me 500. Stephen says, hi, Katie. I'm having trouble getting in touch with Steve regarding the reimbursement for the Amazon vouchers I bought. He seems to be having email issues. 
Do you have an alternative contact for him? And then finally, Stephen closes it out and he says, looks like Katie has been hit with the same issues as Steve. Bye bye. I hope all goes well with your hospital treatment. Yes. And uh, Katie's email address is no longer active either. So right. uh, the good folks at Gmail <laughs> caught wind of what was going on and shut them down. Yes. So yeah. it would seem. Good yeah. job, Google. Yeah, and uh, nice uh, that uh, Mr. Murdoch here spent some time wasting these people's time. Not just wasting their time, but actually shutting down the uh, the assets they had. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. good work, Stephen. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. All right. We'll have a link to that whole exchange if you want to check it out. It's uh, it's a hoot. Yep. And uh, thanks to uh, Stephen Murdoch. And that is our catch of the day. Coming up next, Carol Terrio joins us. She interviews Jamie Bartlett. He is the host of the Missing Crypto Queen podcast, which is from the BBC. That's a story about trying to get to the bottom of the OneCoin scam. But first, a message from our sponsors, Know Before. Now let's return to our sponsor's question about the attacker's advantage. Why do the experts think this is so? It's not like a military operation where the defender is thought to have most of the advantages. In cyberspace, the attacker can just keep trying and probing at low risk and low cost, and the attacker only has to be successful once. And as No Before points out, email filters designed to keep malicious spam out have a 10.5% failure rate. That sounds pretty good. Who wouldn't want to bat nearly 900? But this isn't baseball. If your technical defenses fail in one out of 10 tries, you're out of luck and out of business. The last line of defense is your human firewall. Test that firewall with No Before's free phishing test, which you can order up at nobefore.com slash fishtest. That's K-N-O-W-B-E, the number four, dot com slash fishtest. Joe, it's always great to have Carol Terrio on the show. Uh, this week, she has actually part one of a two-parter. Oh, okay. She is speaking with Jamie Bartlett. He is the uh, person behind the Missing Crypto Queen podcast, ah. which is uh, from the BBC. It's an amazing story about them trying to get to the bottom of the OneCoin scam. I have listened to this podcast, and it is excellent. Yeah, so here's Carol Terrio speaking with Jamie Bartlett. Boy, do I have a treat for you. Joining me today is Jamie Bartlett, podcast host and investigative journalist behind The Missing Crypto Queen, a BBC podcast first aired in September 2019. Now, it's a highly produced mystery, a scandal and a criminal pursuit all rolled into one. Is that basically a high level fair description, Jamie? (laughs) Yeah, I've never heard it described that way, but uh, that's exactly it. Yeah. Oh, cool. Jamie, Hacking Humans is all about how technology is misused to bamboozle us, Mm. getting us to fall for a scam and whatnot. I don't think I've ever covered a billion dollar scam, especially one that is alive and kicking, still duping people all over the world. But as usual, I'm getting ahead of myself. Well, I was going to say, if only it were just a billion. I mean, it's uh, it's considerably more than that. And I've also looked at this for a long time and looked in this world as well. And I've never seen anything like it either. Let me start at the beginning. So who is this missing crypto queen? Right. So her name is Dr. Ruja Ignatova. She is a doctor, by the way. She has a doctorate in um, law. She is now, I guess she's probably 39 now, but in 2014, when she was 34, born in Bulgaria, age of 10 or so, moved to Germany. And nothing particularly remarkable about him, incredibly intelligent, did very well at school, went into the world of finance, uh, worked for McKinsey's. But in 2014, really out of nowhere, 
just as a lot of people were looking at cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin and thinking about other types of cryptocurrencies beyond Bitcoin, she turns up really out of nowhere and says, I've got a new one. It's better than Bitcoin. I've made my own cryptocurrency. It's going to be easier to use. It's going to have mass adoption. And you know how you've maybe think you've missed the Bitcoin craze? Yeah. You haven't missed this one yet. Price is still really low. Get involved now. Uh, this is one coin. This is the next Bitcoin. It's gonna. We should even call it the Bitcoin killer. Say mid 2017, over four billion euros had been invested from 175 countries into her cryptocurrency one coin. So that's why she's the crypto queen. She's she calls herself the crypto queen, which is a pretty catchy title, really. Oh, I know. Yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? I mean, partly the hubris just to call yourself that. <laughs> But when you're making a podcast and you're looking for a very good name, then it's perfect. And as the name suggests, she disappeared. Aha. So you were basically trying to track her down. Yeah. You know, everyone's, for a very long time, me included, people have looked for a story of telling the story of cryptocurrency hype and crowd madness almost. But that can be a bit boring and technical. But because she's this woman that came out of nowhere and then in October 2017 and disappeared, vanished off the face of the earth, never to be seen again. There was a sort of opportunity to try to find her and through that story, explain how she managed to pull off this. I mean, I think probably the the most sophisticated, perfectly executed scam of this century. So let's talk about how sophisticated it is. So how was she able to get an army of people to help her sell this one coin? Have you ever met anyone that does multi-level marketing? They've ever tried to sell you like vitamin tablets or Tupperware or Avon products, trying to the, the selling where you sell products to your friends and family who in turn sell to their friends and family. Has you ever come across that before? Yeah, totally. Like a pyramid scheme. Well, a pyramid scheme, if the product is fake or there's no real product and all the money comes from recruiting other people to sell for you, then it's a pyramid oh, right. scheme. But if it's just through selling to people who sell to people and it's a real thing, that's legal. That's called multi-level marketing or sometimes network marketing. It's controversial because people say, well, in any kind of sales system like this, the people at the top are going to make all the money. And you know, it's, some people criticize it for having very, very tough targets. And you're under a lot of pressure to basically turn your friends and family into customers, which is stressful. But she figured out that rather than doing multi-level marketing and selling vitamins or Tupperware and having to have a garage full of rubbish, she could sell a fake cryptocurrency through multi-level marketing. So it's actually, even though she's called the missing crypto queen, actually what this was, Ah. was an old-fashioned pyramid-selling scam that used a fake cryptocurrency that kept going up just like Bitcoin. You know, your one coin is now worth $10, now it's worth $15, now it's worth $20. She was doing an old-fashioned pyramid scam with a fake cryptocurrency as the product. And I'm sorry, that is an amazingly clever idea. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Well, okay, so she gets this army of people who presumably join her because they're going to get some money out of it, right? Join early, you get, you're near the top of the pyramid, you get more cash, I'm guessing. You know, millions and millions of people are involved in this multi-level marketing industry. And she manages to persuade a lot of the best multi-level marketers in the world to stop selling their vitamins, to stop selling their Tupperware and health supplements and start selling OneCoin instead. 
So she, this is the reason it spread so quickly. You know, a couple of years later, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people have invested in one coin because it went through an existing network of sellers who already had thousands of people below them in their multi-level marketing network. Well, yeah, and you're right, people who were near the top of this pyramid were making a lot of money because basically how it worked was this. You would sell the one coin, not through a marketplace like when you buy Bitcoin, but by purchasing what were known as packages of one coin. So you'd buy a package and you'd receive X amount of one coin and you'd pay X amount of euros for those. And whoever <clears throat> sold them to you would receive a sales commission of 10%. And then secondly, a weekly bonus, depending on how many sales were below you. They call it your downline. So the people below you. There were some people who were near the top of this pyramid that were making, I mean, literally a million, over a million euros a month on commissions through selling one coin. So people at the top were making a fortune, but the pyramid was probably about a million people big. So those few thousand at the top made a fortune and most people lost out. And of course, that's just based on the sales commission. I mean, everyone lost out in terms of the one coin they thought they had. So these people that were in her marketing network, did they know that one coin was maybe not a Bitcoin and in fact, not even a cryptocurrency? Oh, I mean, that, well, she knew, of course, but so they, they, you wouldn't get any Bitcoin as buying one coin because they would have known, well, I, there's no publicly available blockchain. I can't check it. I don't know why we've got to buy and sell through these commissions or pyramid selling. So any Bitcoiners that took a look at this immediately knew something was wrong. So the people that were buying and selling were not specialists in this field. They just were kind of hyped up by cryptocurrencies and profits and soaring valuation. So this is almost like a problem of greed, isn't it? It's like you have a, a promise of big bucks in the future. Greed and hype. Yeah. I mean, it's a, such a powerful thing. And, and I think the other thing is the fear of missing out. Like I, I've seen these other people buying Bitcoin for a dollar and selling them for a thousand. And I want a piece of the action. Mm. And uh, it's a very hard question, though, to what extent did, I suppose there's two distinct questions. To what extent did people selling this know? And I can't look into people's souls and ever know, really. But the other question, maybe more importantly, is to what extent should they have known? If they are selling this to people, what due diligence should they have run? What sh how much should they have checked? And there's a legal concept, which is, I can't remember the exact phrase. It's something like intentional ignorance. <laughs> you know, a lot of people selling things who didn't try to find out because they might have suspect they didn't want to know the truth. Yeah, it's like playing the ostrich. Exactly. See, I told you it was interesting. So interesting, in fact, that we have made this a two-parter. Tune in next time to hear the second part of my interview with Jamie Bartlett, host and investigator behind the Missing Crypto Queen podcast. Next time, you'll hear how Jamie first heard about OneCoin, the techniques Dr. Ruja and her multi-tiered team actually used to dupe people. And I ask him the big question, what will you ask her if you find her? Find out next time. This was Carol Terrio for Hacking Humans. Well, Joe, I don't know about you, but I'm just going to leave this podcast and uh, go tune into the, the, the Missing Crypto Queen podcast. Right. right. It's, it's a, I've listened to it. I might listen to it again. I mean, I've never listened to another podcast again. It's only eight episodes. So okay. it's, it's good yeah. podcast. But following in Dr. Ignatova's footsteps, I hereby declare myself the podcast king. <laughs> Fair enough. Right? Fair, yes. Okay. Why not? So everybody should listen to all the podcasts I'm on. Yeah. And, uh, sure. And I'll, I'll make billions as well. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> this scam 
is so interesting. Yeah. It's one part cryptocurrency or fake cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. It's one part multi-level marketing and one part cult. There's something for everyone. Right. <laughs> Lots of balls in the air here. There right? are. Yeah. You know, I had a brief experience with multi-level marketing when I was younger. And this was with a, a family member who was very good at manipulating people. And we actually don't involve ourselves with this family member <laughs> oh anymore. Oh, my. Because it, it takes a certain personality type to do this, right? Mm -hmm. And I asked this guy one time, I said, how is this different from a pyramid scheme? Mm. And rather than answering the question, he redirected me to an organizational structure for a large corporation with you know a CEO at the top and you're down here at the bottom. What are your chances of making it up to the top of this? Mm -hmm. Right. He didn't really address my question about the pyramid scheme. Right. So I kind of pressed him on it. And his response to that was when the FBI looks at pyramid schemes and multi-level marketing, they use our organization as an example. Hmm. And <laughs> in my head, I immediately think, so anything more than this, you're do you're committing a crime, right? Is that what you're saying? That this this you're you're very close to the edge of legality here. <laughs> right. 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 And and that was the end of it. I never discussed it with him again. I, I think he realized that I was thinking critically about it because this was this had been later in our relationship mm -hmm. and I was and he was trying to goad me into this again. He moved on to an easier mark. Exactly. Right? <laughs> now, if you listen to the podcast, there are some red flags about one coin. But those red flags only go off if you understand cryptocurrencies, right? Oh. So that's one of the big advantages that Dr. Ignatova had over the people she duped, mm -hmm. is people don't understand cryptocurrencies. No. When you hear terms like private blockchain, right, yeah. that should set off flags. And private blockchain run on a SQL database. <laughs> that's not how blockchains work. Blockchains are public databases by design right. that are a way to increase consensus, provided that more than half, just more than half, of the people working in the blockchain are honest. It's like jumbo shrimp or military intelligence. Right. <laughs> yeah, private blockchain should be, you, you, there should be no such thing as a private blockchain. A blockchain is not good for private data. Yeah. It is good for public data. Yeah. Right. But people don't know that. No, it, people what, don't what know What people that. know is that people are getting rich on right. cryptocurrency. They're, That's they're what they know. They're getting rich selling Bitcoin. They're yeah. not really getting rich on any other <laughs> cryptocurrency, right. just Bitcoin. Right. Right. If you listen to the podcast, one of the things that struck me is that they're recruiting people in Africa. Now, Africa's the last continent on the face of the earth that has to be industrialized or will be industrialized, right? Mm -hmm. So this is an emerging market and people are starting to have money and they're going in there and they're exploiting people's ignorance just like they did all over the rest of the world. They've already exploited the rest of the world. But now Africa is where, they, where they're working most now. Hmm. And I think it's despicable the way what they've done to people. They've ruined lives. Yeah. All right. Well, we will look forward to part two of Carol's uh, interview with Jamie Bartlett. We'll have that for you all next week. Yep. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors, Know Before. They are the social engineering experts and the pioneers of new school security awareness training. Be sure to take advantage of their free phishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com slash fish test. Think of Know Before for your security training. Thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. 